0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. A couple of those lyrics, uh, I've really been impressed on my heart this morning, thinking about how the lamb has overcome, and that's only by the blood of Jesus. And uh, for whatever reason, I just have a sense that there are people in the house tonight that need today that need to live in this identity that's been given to us as uh, people who have overcome by the blood of the lamb that we are more than conquerors in christ it's easy for us to slip into a victim mentality to think that everything's not going our way that there's people that have worked against us and to find our definition to define ourselves by what's been done to us uh, rather than what's been done for us and so i'm not going to make you identify yourself if that's you but i just love to pray for us uh, that we would live in this identity that the lamb has overcome that we're more than conquerors in christ will you pray with me God, you have uh, sent your son to do this finished work, this uh, thing that happened at one point in history, uh, that Jesus gave his body, and that he shed his blood, so that we might no longer live uh, in our identity, find our identity in what we've done or what's been done to us, but that so we might live and believe that you have washed us white as snow by your blood. God, I pray for everyone in the place today that we would believe that. Church, God, we we say we believe, help our unbelief. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, my name's Scott, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview, and uh, it's my joy uh, to step into uh, the Word of God with you this morning. Well, it was June 7th, 2013. That's a day I'll never forget. June 7th, 2013, I was sitting uh, back in the intern office. If you uh, drop off your kids, you know, you're heading all the way to the back, the nursery's to the right. If you just take a left at that corner, that's the intern office. That's where they keep the college staff because we're pretty loud, okay? Um, We blare music through to the other offices oftentimes, and so they put us back there. Anyway. And uh, so that morning, June 7th, I'm sitting there in the intern office with um, a couple of faithful staff guys, Thomas and Kyle, and I don't know what we are doing, uh, but I remember the phone call that I received. It was that morning uh, that I pulled out my phone, and and my phone says Eric Cashin, and uh, that's my brother-in-law, and so uh, him and I, we're not phone talkers, we don't chat a lot on the phone, and so I feel like, okay, I should probably pick up the phone, and uh, so I step out into the hall. And I take that phone call and Eric says, "Uh, man, are there people with you right now, Scott? Man, you know that's not going to be a great phone call. That's not a good way to start it, right? And so uh, I say, yeah, well, they're back in the office, but I'll be okay. And uh, he says to me, Scott, your parents were just in an accident. Uh, They were going from Manchester, where my parents live, uh, to Cedar Rapids, Iowa on Highway 13. And he says they were in a head-on collision uh, going 55 uh, to 60 miles an hour. One moment, I didn't know anything was wrong with my parents. The next moment, I didn't know that I, if I still had parents. One moment, everything was normal in the Gaskill family, and the next moment, I didn't know if anything would ever be normal again in the Gaskill family. One moment, my parents were fine, the next moment, their lives were at stake. One moment, my parents are on their way to dinner and a movie with my grandparents in our, in our family van. And the next moment, my parents are going in different directions, my mom in an ambulance and my dad in a helicopter to the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. You see, my mom had this Facebook post a couple of days uh, before, um, and she was frustrated about downloading and cropping some photos at Walmart. Normal frustrations, right? Well, just two days later, if you were to look at my mom's Facebook wall, you would find 40 or 50 posts like mine of people just crying out, would you pray for and would you ask God to show mercy on David Darla Gaskill? You see, one moment, they were driving down the road in a perfectly good Honda Odyssey, and the next moment, the wheels fell off. I tried to get the photo this week from my brother-in-law, but he, uh, his Google Drive got messed up. But their van, the, the wheels were still on, okay, so it's not literal, but it was at least 50% of the size that it was before they were in the accident. And when I think of the wheels falling off, I actually think of my dad because in that accident, his hip was crushed. I mean, not just broken, crushed, mangled, and uh, he'll never walk the same way again. So in some way, shape, or form, uh, the wheels did fall off. Well, as Jeff told us last week, the book of Daniel is about standing firm, living an uncompromising life in the midst of a changing culture. And chapter two brings that to life in a situation when Daniel probably felt like the wheels were falling off his life was at stake, his boss was asking his employees to complete an impossible task, but somehow he was able to courageously stand firm and obey God, even when it felt like the wheels were falling off. Will you pray with me? God, we pray that as we step into your word today, that we would not be the same, that you would, by your spirit uh, and by your grace, uh, transform us more into the image of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're in Daniel chapter 2 today, and uh, because we probably don't have time to read the whole thing, we're going to jump in in verse 10. But I want to give you a little background. In verses 1 to 9, what we see in, in Daniel chapter 2 is, starts off in verse 1. We see that the king's not been sleeping well, okay? Uh, he's uh, sleep deprived, he's been having some dreams, and, uh, you know, when people don't sleep well, uh, you know, sometimes they get a little grumpy. And so uh, that happens to King Nebuchadnezzar, and so he takes that out on the wise men in his kingdom. He decides, well, uh, I had this dream, it's, it's just bending me over every day, and I need to find out what's going on in the dream. Well, he doesn't really trust the wise men all that much, and so he tells them, I don't just want you to interpret the dream after I tell you about it, I need you to tell me the dream and its interpretation so I can trust that you're right. He gives them this impossible task as it would be, and this is how they respond if you want to um, follow along in verses 10 to 16. It says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that he, the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Just a little aside here. But we know, right? We know that there is one who has made his dwelling with us, that has put on flesh and dwelt among us. We're going to get there, okay? But they didn't know of him. And because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king." By the way, he didn't know the dream yet. He just set up the appointment. So a little bit of background in case you weren't with us last week. No uh, expectations there. In the book of Daniel, um, we have the main character, Daniel. He's an Israelite in exile. So his people have been conquered, and the people that were the higher-ups, they got taken in um, to Babylon. And so Daniel essentially is uh, in a culture not his own, representing God well by God's grace. And he got chosen for this like three year intensive training program. Okay. we got some college students over here to tell you a little bit about our intensive training program this summer. This is like three years long. It's a little bit uh, bigger of a deal. So uh, Daniel's in this intensive training program and uh, while he's in it, uh, he gets to see God's grace at work. Okay. So first he takes a little bit of a risk uh, with his diet. Everybody else in the place uh, had been eating the king's food. Well, the king's food was offered to idols. And so uh, Daniel and his three friends, they decide, no, we shouldn't do that. And so they ask uh, the chief eunuch, can we eat um, this other diet of just vegetables? Well, God shows him grace, and, and, and he gets favor with the chief eunuch, and they eat the vegetables. And, and who knew? At the end of two weeks, these guys were beautiful. It said that they were more beautiful than the people that had been eating the king's food. And then... Uh, To top that off, at the end of the training program, you got Daniel and his three amigos, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, Uh, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, for those of you more comfortable with their Babylonian names. All of them tested out at ten times better than everyone else in the training program. I don't know about y'all, but like I don't see anybody in our program testing out 10 times better than everybody else, okay? That is the hand of God on these men, raising them up. He had given them learning. His grace is all over the place. And so God was blessing these men to be a blessing to others. Well, that's the end of it. It seems like the blessing because now Daniel probably feels like he's in some really bad reality TV show. Okay? Because he wakes up one day and his king's not been sleeping. He's had this really bad vision and his pets' heads are falling off. You know, like he didn't really say that about the pets' heads, but um, it's not a good day. And the king is throwing down these tasks, this one specific task that is an impossible task for a man to accomplish. If someone doesn't accomplish this impossible task, Daniel. The three amigos and the Chaldeans, they're all going to get torn limb from limb and their houses are going to get burned down. Y'all ever seen a good Star Wars movie? We're talking Chewbacca with the the stormtrooper, pop, those arms out, limb from limb, and then they're going to burn their house down. This is not the situation that Daniel wanted to be in. But what I would like us to take notice from chapter two is simply this. Because God is both powerful and merciful, we must stand firm even when the wheels fall off. Because if you're like me, and I know I am, when we get in situations like this when the wheels fall off, our tendency is to take matters into our own hands, right? It's to try and control the situation, to do everything in our power to get the wheels back on. But that's not what we see Daniel doing. The first thing that we see Daniel doing in this passage to stand firm is leaving matters where they're supposed to be, right in God's hands. We see that in verses 17 and 18, if you want to go there with me. Uh, It says, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. When Daniel set up this appointment with the king and he was going to tell him his dream, he didn't know the dream yet, and so he comes back and he asks his three amigos to cry out for mercy from God. But Daniel wasn't acting out of self-confidence. Daniel was acting out of confidence in God right? We already talked about what happened in Daniel chapter 1 verse 9 and Daniel chapter 1 verse 17 when it was the favor that God had given him with the eunuch. That's why the diet thing worked out. And we already talked about the learning and how verse 17 says, as for these youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. The reason he topped out as 10 times better than everyone else in the training program wasn't because of Daniel's intellect. It wasn't because Daniel worked harder than all the rest. Maybe those things are true, but it was because of God giving them learning and skill in these things. You see, the first step for us towards leaving matters in God's hands is being able to wash our minds and our hearts of this idea that we are a self made people. The thing most of us miss in Christianity is that the blood of Jesus doesn't just cleanse us once that our sins are forgiven, but it's the very blood of Jesus that can cleanse us from our pride and our self-reliance in moments when the wheels fall off. But Daniel didn't miss this, and so as a starting place, we need to ask God to help us stand in the truth that we are who we are by God's grace. It's easier to leave matters in God's hands when we believe that our lives were never merely in our hands in the first place. And if we read before that, we start to see that there, in this moment when the, you know, the kind of climax moment of this, you think Daniel setting up this appointment when he didn't even know what was going to happen, he didn't know the dream or its interpretation, we think man, this guy was bold. This guy was a risk taker, right? He was full of faith. Well, let's see what Daniel thought about that moment. In verses 14 to 16, it says, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, not, not boldness risk taking, right? But prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel, in prudence and discretion still, went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Do we know who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel. Wrote the book of Daniel. So if Daniel was to tell his story and Daniel wanted to make Daniel look pretty good, right? He'd say, you know, oh, that moment, that moment when I had that thought and I was like, I'm gonna tell the king that I'm gonna tell him what's up, but I don't even know yet. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember my boldness and my courage and my faith? But that's not how Daniel, uh, you know, tells the story. Daniel says that it was by prudence. And with discretion that he made the decision to do that you know prudence isn't really all that lifted up in at least in the college culture that i work with okay uh we're in this fast-paced instagram culture right that everything i can get what i want when i want it and so why would i ever stop and think and slow down before i made a decision but in the Proverbs, prudence is lifted up. It's honored. It's seen as something valuable. It's, it's good for a man to have many counselors, to take his time in making decisions, to look over and providentially care for the decisions in his life. You see, Daniel is describing this decision that way because he wants us to know that it is better for him In a thoughtful and thorough and wise decision, he decided that it was better for him to throw himself into the hands of the living God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love than it is to throw himself into the hands of the king of this earthly kingdom who hasn't slept enough and has tried to kill him in the last couple of days. But I wonder if we believe that when we take it into our own situations. You see, I think what God is saying to us in this passage is that uh, moms, when the wheels fall off at home, like they do often in my household, okay, it is wiser to throw ourselves into the hands of the living God, to trust our kids to God's hands, rather than to, you know, like grab them by the shirt and add rules to their life and get more strict with them. College students, I think what he's saying to us is that it is better for us to entrust our futures to the God of the universe, when we find out that we got academic probation or maybe we didn't get into the nursing school or the business school or whatever the case may be and it feels like the wheels are falling off, it is better and more wise for us to throw ourselves and our future into the hands of the living God than it is to entrust it to an academic advisor, no matter how good they are at their job. And men, like it is wiser and more prudent and with discretion for us to trust God with our vocational future, even when we can't connect the dots from where we are to our dream job someday. We feel like the wheels are falling off at work. Then it is for us to try and work harder and put our trust in our connections with other people. You see, it is prudent and with discretion that we trust the God of the universe. And Daniel understood that because God is both powerful and merciful. We must stand firm and leave matters in God's hands. And thirdly, Daniel understood that some situations are so weighty that in the heat of the moment, the best thing to do is to ask others to carry our burdens for us to the foot of the cross. You see, in our haste to handle everyday situations and even these major crises in our lives, what happens is that we can become so busy, so self-absorbed, so problem-focused, so accustomed to figuring out our way out of our difficulties that we forget God's way out. Prayer. You see, our prayerlessness is so poignant in these moments because it reminds us of how much we really believe that God can make a difference in our lives. You see, when I think of moments like my parents' accident, and I look back on those seasons of my life, it was in those times that I felt like God was wooing me back into deep and intimate relationship with Him because I had nothing to do other than pray. entrust my parents lives into his hands and God in those moments can work all things together for good and those can be the moments that we look back and we long for more of those times of dependence upon God because that's how we were made to live but here we have to realize that Daniel's example isn't one of individual prayer in a closet somewhere right but an even greater dependence that asks his friends to beg for mercy from God as well. You see, he takes Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, and he says, "Guys, will you beg God for mercy with me, so that our arms might not get popped off and we don't have to have our houses burned down? Will you come alongside of me in this moment of great burden that I've told the king that I got an appointment and I don't know what I'm going to say yet? Will you cry out to God with me for mercy?" I don't know who that is for you, but for me, that's my community group. Uh, My Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah are named Mike and Caleb and Jordan and Miles and Taylor. These are the guys when the wheels fall off in my life. They're the guys that I go to, that I need them to carry my burdens before the cross when, when words, I can't even get them out. Who are your Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah? You see, Daniel he left matters in God's hands. But in the midst of his peril, Daniel lavishes praise on God too. Check out verses 19 to 23. It says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the kings matter in the midst of Daniel's crisis he lavished personal praise on God and if you're like me some of you are probably thinking well you know like I'm pretty good at praising God too when everything gets the way that I want it to be right when I ask God for something and he gives me what I really want like man yeah sure sign me up to be up here leading the praise team that day right if everything's going well in my life I can do that But before we write off Daniel, we should stop to think about how the answer that God gave him affected his situation. Yes, God did give Daniel a vision of the king's dream and the dream's interpretation, but the interpretation of the dream put Daniel in yet another crisis. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed of an enormous, dazzling statue, okay? Here's the picture. We've got this gold and silver and bronze. Think about the Olympics, okay? There's one kingdom, Dan- like, King Nebuchadnezzar's. his the best, so he got gold. Uh, then you got second place, we got this silver chest and arms. You got the bronze belly and thighs. Then you got the iron legs and the iron and clay feet and toes. Honestly, I can get into the details of that, but I'm going to let Jeff tell you about it when we get to the last half of the book of Daniel, because it talks about it in a lot more detail then. But that's the dream that has been unveiled in 31 to 35 there for Daniel. And Daniel related to the king this entire dream without hesitation. But can you imagine this cruel, uh, sleepless king's response? When Daniel comes in for his appointment, man, Daniel, like, great job, man. I don't know how you ever did it. I, uh, I you know, I heard that you, you know the dream now, you know. And so, like, I never told anybody. Did you know that? Like, I mean, it didn't slip from me to you. Like, how did you get a hold of this dream, Daniel? You're pretty awesome. And then the conversation continues, and Daniel's like, yeah, I know it. And so he's like, now, Daniel, my man, like, you know, that statue that I saw, can you tell me what that means? Well, and Daniel goes on to tell him what it means, and uh, that's when maybe the wheels would fall off again, right? This is not news that the king was hoping to hear. This is not an easy situation for Daniel to give praise to God. In the midst of the peril, Daniel had personal praise to God. And so then we uh, have this second picture that kind of tells us a little bit about what happened. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was to be divided. It was going to be replaced by one kingdom after another. And Nebuchadnezzar's golden rule, right, is going to be busted up in the end. Not by the silver, not by the bronze, not by the iron, not by the iron with clay in the feet, but by this other rock that was not cut by human hands. And it was going to smash them to smithereens and then they were going to blow away like chaff in the wind. You see, in the later chapters of the book of Daniel, we're going to get more specific about that, but the immediate message for Nebuchadnezzar is crystal clear. Eventually, everything he had worked for and built up would be destroyed and blown away. Far from solving all of Daniel's problems, God's revelation of the king's dream actually placed the prophet in greater danger than the first crisis, when the king had ordered the deaths of all of his wise men. You get this with me? Like so, the first case, right? So they're like, all the wise men are going to die if they can't tell him the dream. And so there's at least a chance that Daniel and the three amigos they could find a back door, they could slip out of there, they could find a new place to live, and maybe they could go on living, right? Ariok could have been a nice guy. Maybe he'd let them off easy and let them skate when they you know, destroyed all the other people in their houses. But in this case, we have Daniel mano y mano with the king of the known world at the time telling him that his kingdom wasn't going to go down just once, not just twice, not three times or four times, but it was going to be blasted to smithereens and blown away like chaff in the wind. You see, despite the danger involved in interpreting the king's dream, there are three reasons that Daniel could still praise God. God's care in the present, God's provision in the past, and this vision of a beautiful future that God shows through this dream that that Daniel just got to see. In the midst of those moments when the wheels were falling off, for me when I'm driving up to Cedar Rapids because I didn't know my dad was getting life flighted down here yet, I'm driving up there and I needed to remember with all of my being how faithful God had been to me, how it was actually through my father that I first met Jesus. And the thought of losing him, I needed to go back to the past and remember God's provision for me in the past. I didn't just need the past, but I also needed to remember in the the present, like Daniel, okay? It was just within the last 24 hours that Daniel was given the very dream that he asked for and and the interpretation that he asked for. God's grace is so sufficient for him in the present. He didn't need to give him that, but God gave him that because God is merciful. But check this out. In this dream, God unveils a future good that Daniel could have never imagined. The rock that endures forever after breaking into pieces the statue whose components represent successive world kingdoms could be none other than the rock Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, God showed Daniel the ultimate triumph of Christ on earth. And this rock revelation, it didn't fix all of Daniel's problems. No, but it gave him hope for a future that God would rule over kings like Nebuchadnezzar for the rest of time. You see, praise so focuses our minds on the greatness of God that our trials are far less intimidating. Trials do not disappear because we praise God, but believers' hearts do not despair when they are praising God. So we've seen that Daniel... Leave matters in God's hands. We've seen Daniel lavish personal praise on God. But lastly, we'll see that Daniel lets God get the glory. Check out verses 26 to 28 with me. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. That's just his Babylonian name that he's been given. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for the three amigos. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? We are all expecting Daniel to say yes right here, aren't we? Daniel answered the king and says, No, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of of your head as you lay in bed are these. Let's be honest, okay, church? I hope church is a good place to be honest, right? Uh, if, if it was you and me in Daniel's shoes, how many of us are going to get in his face the way that Daniel did? I would guess that on my best day, I might say, yeah, I got the dream with help from God, right? But on an average day for Scott, I would probably be, and maybe this is some of you, I'd be like, yep, got it, here we go. <laughs> like, look, you want to see it? To skirt the issue with the king of the known world. If that were the case, we may not think of ourselves as thieves, but that is exactly what we would be. By saying yes, we did something that only God can do. In that moment, we are glory thieves. When God does amazing things in our lives and gives us wisdom and shows the mercy that we and our friends beg him for in prayer, he alone deserves the recognition for the things he has done. You might not realize this, but pastors are in a predicament just like Daniel almost every Sunday. When a pastor gives a sermon, he's put in a spot like this afterwards when somebody comes up to give him a compliment, right? Let's think about the very nature of what a sermon is, right? A sermon is uh, God using one of his people to proclaim his word for his glory. I like to think of uh, it kind of like a boxing glove. A preacher's kind of like a boxing glove, okay? Uh, A boxing glove with no hand in it is not going to pack much of a punch. But if God is to throw his hand in that boxing glove, y'all better watch out in the congregation because somebody's gonna get their bell rung. And so when the pastor steps off the stage and somebody says, Pastor, that was a great sermon today. Thanks for that. If a pastor was just to say thank you, that would be stealing the glory from God. It would be like a boxing glove saying, did you see what I did in the ring tonight? but Daniel takes it a step farther than the good pastor who says, praise God for that sermon. Daniel, he says, uh, he doesn't just use a brief phrase, but he actually contradicts King Nebuchadnezzar with his response. When asked if he was able to make known the dream and, and, and its interpretation, Daniel doesn't just say, God did it, but he makes sure that Nebuchadnezzar knows that God is in a league of his own. There is no one else who could have accomplished this task. No man could reveal the mystery that God has uncovered for King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel knew that his God was both powerful powerful and merciful, even when it felt like the wheels were going to fall off. And this empowered him to let God receive the glory that is due his name. And did you see the results of Daniel telling his story in a way that made God the hero? Let's look at verse 47. One of the results is this. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Okay, let's think about what happened after that. Not only did Daniel get to keep his life, Okay. Not only did the three amigos get to live to see another day, not only did Daniel save the lives of men who would come back to stab him in the back and throw him in a lion's den in a few days, or maybe a few years. Those things are great, but the real win here is that God received the worship of a man who had maybe never bowed the knee to anything in his life. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the known world, and he bowed and worshipped alongside of Daniel, the God of gods and the king of kings. You see, when we learn to tell our best stories the way they were meant to be told, showing God as the hero of our stories, the best result won't be us getting our wheels back under us. The best results will be God getting the glory and others around us turning to worship him alongside of us. You see, Emily and I have gotten to be in the position of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah a number of times in our community group. And there's a few couples that I I know that they have asked us to pray with them when they were trying to start a family. And in both situations, the situation drew out for longer than anybody would have asked for. But when God showed mercy and gave those families the babies that they were waiting for, nobody in those couples, nobody was telling the story like this, saying, well, you know, like, I guess they say, if you just keep trying and trying again, eventually it'll make it happen. So we just tried a large number of times. No. The way they tell their story is they talk about how God is the one that opens and closes the womb, and this baby that God gave them is a miracle of God's grace. They don't steal the glory. They let God get the glory for what he has done in their families. So I want to end with this story from our family. I got another phone call one day uh, that was kind of like my brother-in-law's phone call. I was sitting in the BioLife Plasma Center in Coralville because that's what the college staff does, okay? Um, And so I'm cranking it out trying to make a little extra money and get paid to read a book. And uh, I get a phone call from my wife. My wife that morning was at uh, the OBGYN clinic with Dr. Wenzel, and uh, they couldn't find our baby's heart rate. Our first child, right? And so uh, Emily is getting put in an ambulance and carried from there to the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics to find out what's going on with our baby. While I'm trying to get unhooked from this thing, you know, in the middle of giving plasma. And when we get to the hospital, uh, hours later, after they've done all of these different tests on our baby still in utero's heart, they tell us that our baby has fetal heart block. A lot of you are probably thinking, "What I did? What the heck is that?" Well, it just means that our daughter's uh, heart, the electrical conduction system in her heart doesn't work right. So for you, you've got a lub-dub. For her, the message that makes the dub come after the lub isn't sent all the time. Only like one out of four times it's sent that way. And so, and hearing that news, the hardest thing to hear, the moment when the wheels fell off for Emily and I, was the moment that a doctor sat across from us and said, there's probably a one in four chance that your baby's going to be born alive. And so for the next 11 weeks, y'all, three times a week, we had to get an ultrasound. And we'd go in there and, and we'd find out whether or not our baby was still alive or not. And some days I would say to um, Chantel, the lady doing the tech work, I'd say, Chantel, today I think that God healed our baby and her heart's going to work right. Check it out. But on other days, I'd be like, man, Lord, I pray that she's still alive because Emily would tell me she had been moving a lot. And we went through this roller coaster but in the midst of the situation when the wheels fell off. Uh, I might not be Daniel, but by the grace of God, Emily and I begged hundreds of people to cry out for God's mercy with us. Many of them are here today. Y'all just faithfully prayed alongside of us. And I may not be Daniel, but by the grace of God, I remember worshiping with some of the college student leaders in 24-7 in August, leading up to the semester that year, uh, not knowing what was happening with my baby, but just praising God that he had even given us a baby, whether or not she was going to be born alive. And I may not be Daniel, but by the grace of God, Emily and I let God get the glory time and time again when we get to tell Maddie's story. Because that wasn't the end of Maddie's story see, God did spare my daughter's life, but he did not spare his own son. He graciously gave him up for us all so that we might see in the most beautiful act in all of history, how much God loves us so that we could know that even when the wheels are falling off, that God is both powerful and merciful. So we must stand firm. Will you pray with me? God, you are a gracious and merciful God, abounding in steadfast love toward us. And you are the sovereign Lord of hosts. God, whatever the situation is in our lives today that comes to mind when we think about the wheels falling off, God, I pray that you would meet us in that, that we would experience your presence and that each one of us, by your grace and through your spirit,